Our passage this morning is Romans chapter 14, verses 1 through 12, reading in the English Standard Version. As for the one who is weak, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on him who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be both Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Thank you, Lauren. Good morning, everyone. That was a good, good morning coming from over there. Well done. Yeah, that was solid. Um, my name is Todd Malone. I'm the lead pastor here at FEC, and it's a pleasure, pleasure to be with you this morning. Uh, we at FEC take God's word very, very seriously. We do believe that scripture is God's word, and so we work hard to understand what does it mean and how do we apply that to our lives? How are we changed by what God is telling us through his word? And that's what we're going to do now. We're going to turn to his word, try to understand what it means and, um, and how it affects understanding of who God is and our understanding of um, how we live. I'm going to start this morning, though, by asking you to join me in prayer. I don't know if all of you have heard, but uh, very unexpectedly, very suddenly, um, Dear brother in Christ from this church, Thomas Skavich, uh, was taken home to be with the Lord about 1.30 this morning. And um, so uh, I have called his wife, Ruby. I have not been able to uh, talk with her yet, but we need to pray uh, for them. So would you join me in prayer? Uh, Father, we, uh, we stand here amazed at your grace and your goodness in our lives. But sometimes, Lord, even as we have sung this morning, the darkness can hide your wonder, your beauty, your holiness. And Lord, we ask that as Ruby grieves the loss of her husband, as other family and friends grieve, 
that they would not lose sight of your wonder and your love and your goodness. Lord, we ask that Ruby would be especially aware of your presence this morning and your love. And Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you drew Tom close to you. And this is not the end for him. Uh, This is the beginning of the fulfillment of everything that he has desired, the deepest levels of who he is. Lord, as their church, we love them. Many of the people in here may not even know who they are, but even those who do not know who they are come before you asking that you would help us support this family well and to love them well and to do so to your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I um, know about a church. It's a medium-sized church in a very, very small town, not in Texas. Um, always have to do those caveats so you don't think I'm talking about someone you know. Um, this was a very, very solid church. Uh, I was engaged in the community, loved the community well. Uh, it was, um, the preaching was fantastic. Uh, it had a growing, really thriving children's ministry and kids ministry. The church was just doing fantastic. Until one Sunday, the senior pastor finished the sermon the way he always does, and he closed in prayer the way he always does, and um, dismissed the congregation. I'm trying not to get right in the face of the online people here. But what he did is kind of what I'm doing right now. He went out from behind the podium, and he went down, walked down the stairs and stood in front of the stage. And uh, he talked to and prayed with um, people who, who were there who wanted prayer and wanted to talk to him. And that was the beginning of the end. Uh, it's not just that he did it that Sunday, it's that he, he kept doing it. Um, and you see, it turns out that there are people in that church who have very strong opinions about where a pastor should stand when the service is over. Yeah, it sounds kind of silly, doesn't it? Yes, it does. (laughs) Love having kids in the service, especially my grandkids. Um, See, according to a whole bunch of people in that church, where, you st- where the pastor stood at the end of that service revealed a great deal about his heart. It revealed a great deal about his faithfulness to God's word because you see what was very clear to them, well, at least became very clear. It had not been clear to anyone until that moment that he walked down in front of the stage. What it was very clear to them was that scripture is very clear about where a pastor is to stand. Scripture is very, very clear that a pastor is to shepherd his flock. It's true. 
See, the problem is those people that were down at the front that he was praying with were people who had not stepped foot in church in years. So they clearly weren't part of the flock. His job was to stand at the back door and greet people, the long-standing people of that church, as they left, to make sure they felt welcome that they were there. Who in their right mind splits a church, and that church split over that issue? Who in their right mind splits a church over where a pastor stands at the end of a service? The church I grew up in as a kid. And my uncle was the pastor. Lessons learned as a kid. People can have very strong opinions about very silly things. And those strong opinions can do serious damage in people's lives. And they can do serious damage within the church. And as I've gotten older, here's what I've discovered. Harder lesson. I am very capable of having those opinions and holding them very, very tightly with deep conviction and doing a lot of damage to a lot of people. It is remarkable to me to see people who say they love one another with the love of Christ discard and abandon each other over the smallest things. We are in a society right now that is fractured. They are divided. They are, there is so much violence and hatred and anger. We should not be surprised, but we should be deeply saddened that it does not even occur to the world to look at the church as a way to find unity. We shouldn't be surprised at all. All we need to do is read our own social media posts to see that we're not any different and there's nothing for them to look at here. We are continuing in our series on Romans. And this passage that we're going to get into today on Romans may be, number one, it's certainly in the top ten list of passages that you would look at to understand how to live with integrity, how to live with unity as the body of Christ in such a way that the world would look at us and say, there is something to see there. And so I'm going to challenge us today to take very seriously what this says and challenge us that if we apply this passage, it just might catch some attention. Now, let's remember what we're talking about in Romans. Um, We have said, and this is very important for the background here because some of these issues are bubbling up to the fore. The church in Rome was originally founded by Jews and it was originally led by Jews. And it seems that there are people who were at the day of Pentecost in Acts, 
who had come to Christ, gone back to Rome, and founded the church in Rome. And over time, there were Gentiles that came to know Christ, came into the church. They were led by these Jewish leaders. They were discipled by these Jewish leaders, and they grew in Christ. And then, I guess about 16 years after the founding of the church, uh, the emperor Claudius issued a decree, and he wanted all Jews, every Jew in Rome, out of Rome. And so they left, and uh, the church was now run by Gentiles. Well, eventually Claudius dies, and the Jews can come back into Rome, and now they come back into their church, and this church looks very Gentile-y. Right? There are certain customs that they had, things like what you eat and what you don't eat what days you celebrate and how you celebrate them. That all of a sudden are looking very, very much like the Gentiles. And what seems evident in Romans is that you have these two groups, these, the people with a Jewish background, people with a Gentile background who had very different approaches, and there is tension. And Paul today takes on that issue directly. Here's what we're going to see. He is going to talk about the fact that there are such things as disputable issues that we are allowed to disagree over. He is going to show us that there are ways that we can disagree on these issues that create division. We should know that from experience. And he is going to show us that there are ways of handling these issues that actually maintain an even deepen unity with one another. And I think we actually know that too. And then at the end, he is going to talk about the fact that there are reasons that we must make allowances for one another to disagree on these issues. But let's start with the fact that that he acknowledges, or that he needs us to acknowledge, that there are such things as disputable issues, disputable disputable matters. And we we see that right away in verse 1. And it's interesting, he doesn't say Jew or Gentile, he talks about the weak, and in chapter 15, he's going to talk about the strong. Um... So he doesn't name them the way that you would think that he would. And these two groups, the weak and the strong, are divided over opinions. Here's what the word, the word translated opinions means. It is a conclusion that is reasoned to from data. So here's how this would work in the Roman church. They had Old Testament data. And they would look at it and say, we're not sure how to maybe apply this. We're not sure how to put this piece of the Old Testament together with that piece of the Old Testament. But they would work through it and they would come to a conclusion. And then they would argue about that conclusion. Because different people would draw different conclusions. So there's this assumption here that there are issues that that just are not clear that you have to come to by drawing conclusions, by putting pieces together. And Paul gives two examples as we continue in the passage. The first one is about what they ate. By the way, this is one of my absolute favorite passages to take out of context and completely misuse. The weak person eats only vegetables. Um... Man, I wish I knew that passage when I was a kid. Um, <laughs> but one of the issues is what they eat. And, and here's the fascinating thing about why some people would eat only vegetables in that context. Um, 
There are clear commands in the Old Testament that limit what you can and can't eat, especially when it comes to meat. And one of the commands that you have in the Old Testament is that you are not to eat meat that was sacrificed or used as part of worship for idols. Now, in the years between the end of the Old Testament and the start of the New Testament, it became uh, very clear to many Jews that, that when they would go to the market to buy meat, it wasn't always certain. They couldn't be certain if that meat was actually sacrificed to an idol, was part of idol worship or something like that. And so very, very strict Jews developed the, the practice of saying, we just won't take any chances. We just are not going to eat any meat whatsoever. We are only going to eat vegetables. And uh, that practice apparently worked its way into the church in Rome, and you still had Jews who felt like it was inappropriate to take the chance of eating any meat whatsoever. The second issue he raises is in verse 5, and some esteem one day as better than the others, and others treat all days as alike. Again, the Old Testament's pretty clear. There are certain days, the Sabbath is one of them that we think of, that were to be treated as especially holy. But there are also all kinds of festival days, there are ceremonies, things like that, where, where there might be a day or, or a period of time that were treated as very special to the Lord. And it seems that you have the Jews who still wanted to do that, and you have Gentiles who did not think that that was as important. Now, you look at that and say, well, wait a minute, the Old Testament is kind of clear on these things. Why is this a disputable issue? Well, here's the other thing that the Old Testament is clear on. That when Messiah comes, the way that we relate to laws, at least laws like that, change. But the Old Testament, I mean, we are much clearer on it now, but if you go back and pretend you're just a Jewish person just looking at the Old Testament, it's like, it's not clear how that exactly is going to work. So, you put yourself as a Christian before you have the full New Testament and you could see how people would come to different conclusions about how you put together these principles, commands of Scripture with these principles, teachings of Scripture that these things are going to change. And so you have a disputable issue. Now let me make out, make, make, point out a couple of other things. We are talking here not about issues of salvation. There is no one in the Roman church who would have looked at one of their fellow Christians and said, because you would disagree with me on that issue, you are not a Christian. What they would have said is because you disagree with me on that issue, you may not be as good of a Christian as me. So here's what a disputable matter is. A disputable matter is an issue where Scripture is not clear. There is not a clear command or a clear statement on that situation. You'll find principles in Scripture, and you'll take this principle here, and you're going to put it together with this principle here, and, and, and that's really important and really good. But someone else may take this principle and this principle from over here, and they put them together in a different way. And, and you'll find that people have very strong opinions about these things. But what you have to recognize is that the conclusion that you're coming to is based not on Scripture itself, but how you have reasoned through Scripture. Because there is not a clear command that you are obeying or disobeying. There's a very famous Christian speaker and writer 
um, years ago, years and years ago, who wrote an essay called, Can a Christian Own a BMW? And his answer was no. And here was his reasoning. Scripture is clear. He's right. Scripture is clear that we must care for the poor. There are cheaper options for a car than a BMW. And the price difference between the two could be used to care for the poor. Therefore, it is a sin to own a BMW. Now, he makes a compelling case that we really should be thinking about how we care for people around us when we make decisions about our personal finances. But here's the problem. Where caring for the poor is clear in Scripture, what car you drive or own isn't. Right? If you refuse to care for the poor, if that never factors into your life, I could say you could make an argument that that's sin. But what car you drive, what house you buy, where you go on vacation, what you do with other issues of how you spend your money, these are all disputable matters that many factors can factor into. We need to recognize that some issues are disputable. Not everything is black and white. Not everything defines the quality of your walk with the Lord. We must recognize that there are also when we enter into disputable issues, wrong ways to handle them. And those wrong ways are ways that create division. And there are three things in this passage that Paul says we are not to do, and honestly, any one of them is sufficient to create division. The first thing he says not to do is not to quarrel. This word quarrel is a really fascinating word. You immediately think of arguing with each other, and that's correct. But there's something else going on with this word that's harder to see. Because this word is also bringing into it the idea that underneath our quarrels is this tendency to divide people into categories. We put people into camps. We, we, we say to someone, you're a Republican or you're a Democrat. You're a homeschooler or a public schooler or a private schooler. And, and that category becomes more important to us as we define that person, as we think about that person, as we talk about that person, than the fact that they are a member of the body of Christ. We define them as homeschooler and not my brother or sister in Christ. We define them as Republican and not my brother and sister in Christ. That's what this word is, is, is bringing up here. That's brought into this word. And you can see that, that if you do that, if you're willing to, to categorize people with categories that are more important than your relationship to them as a member of the body of Christ, it's really easy to do the next two things he tells us not to do. Let not the one who eats despise. That means to treat as valueless. Let not the one who abstains pass judgment. That means to condemn. And this is really straightforward. When we are facing a disputable issue, we create division. When, when we divide into camps, or we put other people into camps, when we look down on people who are in those other camps, 
And when we condemn people for the stance that they were taking, and I would say that famous Christian writer, that's exactly what he was doing. He was condemning people for taking a stance that was different from his on disputable issues. So, since I have you here, let's step into a disputable issue that is ripping apart churches all over this country right now. I am going to address this as someone who loves this church, the people in this church, who who has a responsibility before God not to dodge issues that affect this church. We are going to talk about vaccination. And a whole bunch of people just leaned forward and thought, wreck. So let me either disappoint you or put you at ease. I am not going to share any thoughts whatsoever on whether or not I think you should get vaccinated or not. Um, But I'm going to share some very strong thoughts on how we talk about whether or not we get vaccinated or not. See, I've seen people, social media and other contexts, say things like, If you get vaccinated, you are rebelling against God. That's another word for sin. I have seen people say, if you do not get vaccinated, you are rebelling against God. That's another name for sin. I have seen people treated as ignorant, unfaithful, ungodly, because of their opinions on this issue. And I have seen a lot of people. I would say it's one of the defining characteristics of this quarrel that we have. Divide into camps. And my people are the people who agree with me on being vaccinated. Or my people are the people who agree with me on not getting vaccinated. And those are the people I will respect. And those are the people I will listen to. And I want to say right now, church, this is a classic disputable issue. Vaccines did not exist in the Bible. So please don't expect a clear statement, a clear command one way or the other about what we should do about vaccinations. What you are going to do is exactly what we do with every single disputable issue. You are going to find principles of scripture. You will think through them the best you can. You will be faithful to the Lord in them and you will come to a conclusion. And someone else is going to do the exact same thing and come to a different conclusion. And Paul is telling us that is okay. Here's what's not okay. Here is the clear, clear command of Scripture. Welcome one another. Do not quarrel over opinions. And so the person who says on social media or elsewhere, if you get vaccinated or if you don't get vaccinated, you are rebelling against God, that is when they have entered into sin. Not because of the position that they held. Does that make sense? 
How do we create division? One person or one group takes a disputable issue and treats people who disagree as other. And then on top of that, they fight about it. They regard one another or people who, who disagree with them as worthless and can, they condemn their walk with the Lord. Paul says if you do that on disputable issues, all you do is create division. And that's not hard to see. But let's look at what he says about what we need to do to maintain unity. And there are, again, three things. The first one is right in verse 1. Welcome him. This word welcome, is in, it means to accept into your circle. It's how you would treat a cherished friend or family member who came to stay at your home after you've not seen them for, for an extended time. You're delighted that they are there. That one word eliminates the most common strategy that we have for maintaining unity in the church. Avoiding each other. That one word right there eliminates the strategy of, you disagree with me on this issue, therefore I'm just not going to talk to you. You have no part of my life. We are to be fully convinced in our own mind that's the second thing we must do to maintain unity. And that sounds weird, but that's part of maintaining unity. But, but let me give you the power of this word. It's fully convinced. It means to be sure. It means to be certain. Paul is saying part of maintaining unity is that you have the freedom to have your opinion about being vaccinated or not vaccinated. And you can be absolutely certain and stand on that opinion and advocate for that opinion and speak to that opinion. Why is that so important? Paul doesn't say it here, but just in reflecting on this, why is that important? Because that's how we grow as believers. Right? We have to be able to interact with each other and speak confidently. And this is what the Lord is showing me in Scripture. This is how I make sense of this. Another person says, well, I, I disagree with that, but, but I can see where you're coming from. I need to factor that in. That, that's how we grow. But the third thing is in this little word right here. Each. Everyone, including that person you disagree with, has that right to be fully convinced in their own mind. We must be fully convinced in our own minds, and we must allow others to be fully convinced in their minds, even if they disagree. Yesterday, we had a memorial service for a very, very special woman, Ruth Vance. Ruth, to me, is a model of living this passage. She had opinions. One of her daughters-in-law stated that, um, you know, coming into this family, it was very intimidating because Ruth had opinions on everything. I mean, she, there, there was a right way to do this recipe. There's a right way to, to make this. There's a right way to raise, you know, a child. There, there's just, there was a right way. She was clear. You know what else is true about Ruth? She would state her conviction, and she would delight, she would be happy with disagreeing opinions. And she would give you the freedom. 
And, and as his daughter-in-law recognized that, she recognizes the delight of being with Ruth who would say what she was feeling and thinking, but allowed you to have your own opinion and live out what you thought was right. And it would never even remotely threaten the relationship. That's a picture of this in action. That's how this is supposed to work. We need to recognize that there are disputable issues. And we cannot respond to those issues by dividing into camps and looking down on others. We must respond by allowing one another to be convinced in each other's minds and then embracing one another. Finally, why is it important to make allowances for different opinions? And again, I think there are three things that you see here. The first one is um, repeated on playgrounds everywhere in elementary school. You are not the boss of me. Household servants, or the servant here refers to a household servant. A household servant in that day uh, works differently than maybe often how we think about it. They're actually considered part of the household. Uh, when you see things about household commandments in Scripture, that would include the servants. Uh, so the servants would actually live there. They'd live under the roof. They'd be part of that home. And uh, they would be responsible to the master of the house in that home. So it would be unthinkable for the master of the house two houses down to walk into a house and say, household servant, don't do it that way. That's not what you're supposed to do, right? Look at it this way. Would you, please tell me no, would you see that your neighbor has hired painters to paint the house, walk over to those painters hired by your neighbor, painting the neighbor's house, and say, no, 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 that's not the right color for this house. It needs to be fuchsia. That's bad on so many levels. Um, that's what Paul's describing here. He's saying, that's absurd. You are not the boss of them. They have their own master. And that master is the one to whom they are accountable. Second, and this is so important, we must make allowances for each other because of what our motives are, what we are desiring. Do you notice how often in this passage the word honor of the Lord was repeated. It doesn't matter what side of the debate you fall on, Paul is saying to these Romans. Their motives, your motives are the same. They are doing the best they can to honor the Lord in the way that they know how. That's really what he's saying in these uh, final verses, verses 7 through 9. That, that these are people who are devoutly living and dying for the Lord. Our debates on debatable issues should never go down the path that we will see, we are already seeing, in political debates in our culture where the political debate really comes down to, I think you're a bad person with bad motives. Sadly, so often in the church, we do the same thing. 
And what Paul is saying here is that way of arguing is not open to you. We will disagree with one another, but understand these are people who are under the mastership of the Lord, under the leadership of the Lord, and they seek to honor him. They seek to live for him in the way that they know best. And finally, the third reason we must make allowance for one another is because we are not the judges. We are the people who will be judged. We will all sit before the judgment seat of God. Lori pointed out during worship that there's a picture here of worship. But do you catch the context? The context is judgment. The context is people falling on their knees before God in the way Lori said it was powerful and correct. Because when you see the holy, perfect God, the only response that we will have is to fall on our knees and we will see that we were never in the place to stand as judge. We are the ones who are judged. And that, Paul is saying, should create humility with one another right now. And you know what? It should create confidence. That if that other person really is wrong, the Lord is their judge and he will deal with it. And I think part of our issue is we don't trust that. We must allow each other to be convinced, even of competing opinions, because we are all servants trying to obey our true master. And only he will judge us. Only he has the judgment that matters. Now, there's a very clear principle that's running all through this passage. Let me just say it in three words. Unity trumps opinion. Always. Always. The sin is not in having a different opinion. The sin is in how we hold that opinion and talk about opinion and allowing division to take place. Think about 2020. 2020. And all the division or opportunities for division facing the church. Mass or no mass. Taking the payroll protection plan loan or not taking the payroll protection plan loan. When and how to gather as a church. And when not to gather as a church. How to vote. How to handle tensions that are in our society over issues of race. How to handle support of law enforcement when they are not perfect. Every one of those issues contains multiple disputable issues within them. We're either going to handle them well or handle them badly. We will either give a divided, broken society something to look at, or we will give them something that simply looks just like them. Unity trumps opinion. How do we live that out? We need to recognize that something is a disputable matter, and sometimes that's the hardest step. We need to be convinced in our own minds. You need to allow yourself the freedom to say, it's okay for me to have this opinion. But we need to allow others to be convinced. And then we need to welcome one another as fellow servants of God, whether we agree on these disputable matters or not. I want to brag on our board. 
no, I don't want to brag on our board. Well, I do want to brag on our board. Um, what I want to do is present to you a model of doing this well. Um, we had people on our board who have very different opinions about whether or not a church should accept the payroll protection plan loan. It really comes down to questions of how does church and government relate? What's the appropriate, what are the appropriate principles that come into to play there? And as people with very different but very strong opinions came together, one of the things that was clear is that that is not clear in Scripture. There is freedom to disagree. We can allow disagreement. And that's what they did. They allowed disagreement. They allowed each person to be convinced in their own, own minds, and they re fully respected that people who disagreed with them were informed, godly people who were trusting the Lord, just as they were. And then they didn't break fellowship with one another. There is even a delight. People who disagreed with me, I sense a delight in seeing me. That's how this is supposed to work. You're going to be faced with a lot of issues this week. Well, you're going to have an opinion. But Scripture is not clear. The Romans faced that exact situation. And Paul's point to them in this passage was this. In disputable matters, be convinced in your own mind and allow others to do the same. We live 2,000 years after that was written. What's the implication for us today? What's the implication for us when multiple social issues in our country threaten to divide the church? The implication for us today is this. Guard unity with those Christians who disagree with you about the social issues dividing our country. Some issues are, are very much issues of, it's clear what Scripture says. I would argue abortion is clearly one of those. There are some issues that um, I argue that caring for the poor is one of those. But how you care for the poor, what that looks like, what one church decides to do, what one family decides to do, what one individual decides to do, may look very different. And we need to give ourselves freedom. Guard unity with those who disagree with you on the issues that we are about to run into as a country. Some responses. Rewrite Romans 14, 1 through 12. I will tell you this passage to me was life-changing. Once I grasped what this was saying, it changed how I related to people. Take time to really work through this passage. The Christian life is always lived in the process of repent, believe, and follow Jesus. Repent, acknowledge, and confess where your opinions have created division, and every one of us, have something to repent of in this area. We need to believe. We need to pray for the confidence that God's judgment is sufficient in disputable matters. It's not up to us to fix other people. We need to follow Christ. 
We need to pursue unity. And how we pursue unity is to seek the forgiveness of those that we have not welcomed, that we have not embraced, because we have disagreed. It's easy to say those things, but the reality is living them is incredibly hard because we have a lot at stake. We put a lot at stake in our opinions. And so being willing to let go of that takes the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's why we have to pray. So would you join me in prayer? Father, we, um, we do recognize that we hold our opinions tightly. And this passage says that's okay. We can hold them with strength and conviction. We're told to do that. But Lord, sometimes we put our value as a person, our acceptability as a person, we put our worth in our opinions. And so we put too much at stake. And we fight and we argue with one another. We divide each other into camps. We look down on people who disagree with us. Or we even condemn them as being not faithful to you. Maybe not even your children. And Lord, we stop and confess that we have all done that and it is ugly. It is sin. And so we ask that you would forgive us with the confidence that you do and you will. We repent, Lord. We ask for the the strength and the confidence to trust that you are the master and judge over, over these other people that do not agree with us and that you are at work in them. And Lord, we ask for the strength that even as we hold our convictions tightly to be able to go to those that we've hurt, that we've separated from, and say to them, unity is more important than my opinion. Let's rebuild the relationship. We need your strength. We need your help. And we ask for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, a couple of things as we go. It is always important to me that we identify what have we said about who God is. And what scripture has said to us today is that we can trust that God is master and judge. And so that should leave us as we go here with the challenge, with the charge to live out that conviction that he is master and he is judge by being convinced in our own minds and allowing others to be convinced as well. You are dismissed. We will have a prayer team out there, and I am going to stand right here in, um, (laughs) because I just don't know what else to do. So have a wonderful week, and I look forward to seeing you next week.